Hey, it's great to have you here. Uh, what a difference a day makes, right? Yesterday, you could be tanning in your backyard. Today, you're all bundled up. Welcome to Topeka in November. It's great to have you here. Um, you know, I absolutely love this, uh, this holiday called Thanksgiving. It's a great opportunity to gather with your friends and family and to eat great food, to express thanks to the Lord and to each other, to be a blessing to people around you. And no one expects a gift from you. So that's even better, right? It's a great time to do that. You know, this uh, Thanksgiving, we had uh, Ken and Jessica Broom and their family with us. We had just eaten dinner. And then all of a sudden, an idea came to my mind. Eddie Bauer has a sale. It's 50% off. I've got to get there. So I started planning and we made it there. And uh, I, I started looking and all of a sudden, it wasn't too long before a bargain became a, a want and a want became a need and a need became a purchase and a purchase became a possession, right? And it wasn't too long before a thankful, content, even content stomach was all enjoying the day too. I was caught into the holiday rush of purchasing and wondering what I'm going to do to prepare for Christmas. So this message is strategically designed for me and for you because you happen to be here uh, to keep us thankful, to not move on so that we forget the daily practice of living uh, with thankfulness. And, and so as I think about this, I think about uh, if you've ever traveled on a ship or something like that, and you go through rough seas, they put out these things called stabilizers. And they kind of go underneath the surface and they counteract the roll caused by the wind or waves acting on the ship. Well, today I want to kind of focus us on stabilization from the Word of God. The Word of God is our stabilizer as we go into a hectic, hurried season of Christmas. And I want to read together out loud Psalm 100. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 100. And actually, if you didn't bring a Bible, I actually printed this Psalm on your worship program. So take that out. You can read it along with me. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. And just so that we can all say the same words together, I'm going to ask that you do that also. We don't typically read out loud uh, in our services all the time, so this may be a little bit unique for you. But read along and try to hang with the meter of Psalm 100, a psalm of thankfulness. Would you read it aloud with me? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generation. You know... I think about how thankfulness is linked to so many things in our lives. It's not just the call to scripture. It's actually something that makes us better. It's actually been proven that a thankful life is healthier. It's more emotionally stable. It's more deeper in relationships. It changes your thankfulness. Your attitude of thankfulness changes your outlook on life and even the behavior and and being in addition to the all these benefits are in addition and most importantly, to the call of Scripture to be thankful. 
You know, it, could it be that God has hardwired us to be people who are thankful to him, who live with a constant attitude of thankfulness in what we have in a relationship with God? What I want to spend over the course of our time together in the word is really four key practices that help grow our gratitude. I think these are practices that if we're, we'll be willing to, to uh, use in our daily lives, God will grow us in a thankful heart of gratitude. The first one is praying. You know, prayer builds gratefulness. Remember when we were in the book of Colossians two weeks ago and uh, we looked in Colossians chapter two, it says continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I think it's interesting that Paul would say being watchful in prayer so that you're thanks thankful. And I think one of the key tendencies for us in prayer is to use God like he's here to serve us to use if we just pray to him and rub the rub the bottle of the genie the genie will give us our wildest dreams and they'll come true and we kind of live like that with prayer so Paul says be watchful uh, of that you're giving thanks to the Lord that you're not just showing up saying God this is what you can do for me today but that we would practice a heart of thanksgiving in our prayer lives what do we believe when we pray you know, we believe a lot of things. It's actually an expression of faith to pray. And that's why we're called into this practice of doing that daily. When I pray, I affirm my belief, first of all, that God exists. That there's no one like him. And I, I, I look to him. I believe not only that he exists, that he listens and he hears. He hears his children. He's not some God who's preoccupied doing something else. Or has just kind of left the world to spin on its own and do its own thing. No, he's a God who is interested. He's not just concerned about my soul. He's concerned about my life. He cares. He hears. I also believe when I pray, God acts. That, that his power is, is applied to my life. And, and he is a heavenly father who loves to bless his children. He loves to give good things to his children who ask. So Jesus, throughout his ministry, would always say, ask, pray. And as we do that, we make a statement of faith and belief in Christ. But as we do this, this is what prayer develops in me and in you, if you'll do it. Number one, it gives us an awareness, not only that God exists, that he hears, that he cares, but it moves us away from the distractions of this life. It moves us away from ignorance that God doesn't know what's happening to us or even rejection that God doesn't care and I don't want him anymore. Prayer builds an awareness. It also builds a dependence on God. And we have a decision in our lives on our best day or on our worst. Am I, am I self-made or am I being God-formed? Prayer always brings us back to a God who is forming his purposes, his will through us. Prayer also builds expectation in us. When we pray, we look for God to work. We look and we praise him when he answers prayer. And prayer also builds contentment. As I see God's presence and I see his power and I see his purpose in it, purposes acted out in my life. I'm content in him. It moves me away from what I don't have and it focuses me on what I do have in Christ. That's why Paul says to pray in Philippians chapter four, verse six, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here's that word again with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, prayer combats those things that just kind of overtake our life and overwhelm our lives, like fear and anxiety and worry 
that rob us of thankfulness. And so when we thank God through prayer, he just builds us deeper. You know, a year ago, a guy by the name of Mike Steinhoff, who goes to our church here, was fighting for his life in the ICU at KU Med Center in Kansas City. Uh, today, he lives because of the power of prayer. And I asked him to tell his story to you. So we did a video this week. I'd love for you to see it. Take a look at this. I'm Mike Steinhoff, and uh, Thanksgiving Day 2013 was probably the worst day of my life. I was getting ready to play football with my son when I felt a sharp pain in my stomach. My wife took me to the hospital, and uh, when I walked into the hospital, the pain was getting greater. I walked in there, I sat down on their couch, and I screamed, don't let me die. And from there, I don't remember anything for the next two weeks. They found that I had a, a mesenteric artery dissection, and it had cut all the blood flow off to all my major organs. And from there, they decided that I needed to go to KU Med in order for, in order for me to live. Once I got to KU Med, the doctors told my wife that uh, I had about a 15% chance of living because they weren't really sure what to do with me because nobody has ever lived through that injury. When they got in there, they found a way to, uh, to get the blood flow back, but everything was starting to die off a little bit because it had been without blood for 12 and a half hours by that time. I had three surgeries at KU Med, one, the first one, totaling nine and a half hours on Thanksgiving Day. And um, I spent the next four and a half months in KU Med, fight, basically fighting for my life. I was in excruciating pain uh, for one minute every five minutes for four and a half months. And it really wore on me. It uh, made me depressed and it made me shut down for periods of time when I wouldn't talk to anybody. And inside I'd be worried about my family and my wife and how things were gonna turn out. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be healthy again or have a normal life. Well, during that period of time, I would, um, I would pray and I would try to ask God. I never asked God why me. I would just say, okay, help me get through this. My thought of prayer, it's changed quite a bit. You always wonder, okay, I'm praying, but is it really making a difference? And I've heard about it making a difference. And now I've seen it and I've lived it. I've lived it making a difference. There was people all the way from California and a prayer chain that I was told about ran from here all the way through the East Coast. And then a lot of churches in this area, their congregations were praying for me. Now I thoroughly believe that the power of prayer is mighty. After what has happened to me, I really don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for prayer. Because there was just so many things that were wrong with me that there's absolutely no reason I should be alive. So now here I am, a year later, Thanksgiving 2014. And here, every morning, I wake up and I wiggle my toes. And then I just thank God for... Uh, for his grace, for my second chance at life, I thank him for uh, a wife that stood with me through the whole deal. I thank him for how my family came through it. I I thank him for the future that he's given me with my kids and my family, and someday playing with my grandkids, <laughs> and for all the people I prayed for. I'm really thankful for that too. Because that's what, like I said, that's what I believe. There's the reason why I had a second chance. That's what I'm thankful for in this Thanksgiving. 
I remember getting that call right around our Thanksgiving table last year. And I remember thinking about what the Steinhoff family might be going through and what would, might have been imminent, 15% chance of, of living. The doctors had never done that type of surgery quite that way. And this is in a major area of our country with a lot of experts. And so we prayed. And we trusted God with Mike. We trusted God with the Steinhoff family. We trusted God with whatever he was going to do. We didn't know what would bring God the most glory. And we trusted and we thanked God for being a God who's in control. And he spared Mike's life. And Mike uh, is here today. He's actually going to be in the lobby after the service if you want to greet him and, and encourage him. But you know what Mike says is thank you. Do you see what prayer does? When you say, Joe, I'm praying for you, that, you know, the number one thing that goes through my mind, my first words are usually, thank you. That's the greatest thing I, that can ha- you can do for me is to pray for me. It just wells up a spirit of gratitude to God and to each other. So church, pray, fight to pray. We're going to be busy over this next month. We're going to be hurried. There's going to be a lot of prayerless striving in our lives. And that is the killer. That is the killer of thankfulness and gratitude. So, so be thankful through prayer. Take time. That's why we're so committed to you meeting with your heavenly father on a daily basis. So we provide the journal for that just is a tool to get you in God's word and to grow in his word and to pray to him each day. That's why we read the same passages together as a church family so that we can grow in momentum, praying, having the same passage with the same church family growing together and being thankful to the Lord. So fight to pray. And as you pray, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. So prayer is the first practice. Secondly, worship. There's a practice of worship. And you know, thankfulness is the fuel to worship. When Jesus, uh, on his way to Jerusalem, he came across 10 lepers. And uh, leprosy is a uh, bacterial infection that will ultimately, if, if untreated, will, will affect the extremities. And they'll take away all the feeling, all the nerve uh, sensation in, in your extremities. And right now in India, about 50% of all the cases of leprosy where, where they're diagnosed are in India. And I visited India and I visited a leprosy colony. And there were people there who leprosy had affected so much, they, that's just all of their hands that they had. They just had nubs. And their toes, they just had, they just had, they had feet without toes. And, and uh, in this community, you just saw they were alienated from the culture because people were afraid they were going to catch it. And, and, and they were isolated into this own, own, their own little place there. And, and when Jesus came across them, They yelled out to him in Luke 17. It records, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priest. And scripture says, as they went, all 10 of them were cleansed. Now, out of the 10, nine were Jewish and one was a Samaritan. It's interesting how during a time of suffering and of isolation and alienation, they were unified together. There weren't too many differences. That, that's what suffering will do sometimes in our lives. We'll forget about all the differences and we'll suffer together. But once they were healed, nine went their own way and only one, the Samaritan, returned back. And Luke seventeen fifteen says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and he worshiped. It says he praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet at giving him thanks. 
thanking him for this. And what was the response Jesus made? He said, weren't 10 healed and only one, the Samaritan? The enemy of the Jewish people came back and praised the Jewish Savior, the Messiah. It's interesting. Thankfulness, fuel, thankfulness just fuels worship before the Lord. By the way, one of the great things, one of the most uh, greatest memories of my trip to India was to worship in that leprosy colony and have people raising what fingers they had left to the Lord and worshiping him. That just moved me. That broke me down to tears to see people worshiping a God with a spirit of thankfulness. Worship does that. Psalm 9 verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Scripture calls us into having a whole heart of that we would see that our lives are full with God, that we're rich in Christ. And as we have the overflow of our heart, guess what? Worship. We worship him and we're thankful to him versus being half-heartedly committed, half-heartedly content, always, always looking for something better, always looking for something more, but having a whole heart of thankfulness, recounting God's wonderful deeds. Do you know how healthy it is for you to go to sleep instead of counting sheep, counting the blessings that God has for you? You just, you go to bed full. This last June, I had the opportunity to travel to Jerusalem. And uh, while in Jerusalem, one of the greatest things to see is the Temple Mount that Herod, King Herod, a wicked king, built for the Jews in Jerusalem as they celebrated and built the temple on top of this Temple Mount. And uh, in recent years, they've, they've excavated the southern portion of the Temple Mount. This is how it looks today after the excavation work. Those are three gates that are now walled off. But at the time, those were entrances. Those were gates into the house of the Lord, into the temple mount on which the temple was built. This actually is the same gate where Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 people put their faith and trust in Christ. And skeptics of the Bible and the historicity of the Bible, I said, boy, this gate, I mean, it's just a pile of rubbish. Where would 3,000 people be baptized? Well, after, just recently, like 10 or 15 years ago, as they unearthed this area and found the remains, they unearthed no less than 50 ceremonial baths where people could be baptized. Yeah, the Bible, again, all we got to do is dig. It'll be supported. And, and time after time on my trip, I saw that. I saw where we, and the more we dug, the more the Bible was shown. But at this place, one of the things that our tour guide told us is take a look at the steps going up to the Temple Mount and take a look at this. I took a picture of them so you could see. See them? None of them are the same. See, in the United States, we'd have an issue with this because this wouldn't match code. Code always has to have the same rise with the same width. Why? So people don't get tripped up when they're walking up steps. But when scripture called the Jewish people to enter his gates with thanksgiving, they literally changed the size of steps so people would get tripped up. Not that they'd fall down, but that they would stop. They would slow. It caused you. And as I walked up them, I couldn't just go boom, boom, boom. I couldn't look straight. I had to look down. And I had to slow down, and that's exactly what we're to do in worship. We're to slow down. We're not in the rat race anymore. We're to change even our meter so that we might worship and remember and enter his courts. 
with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was planned for the people of Israel just in walking up to the temple. And we're called to do that in worship. We're called to slow down, to trip up from our daily stuff. And that's why we call you to get into a time. That's why we call you, don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together. I know you can just go, oh, I don't like organized religion and all that. You know what? We're broken. All of us are broken. That means any organization we make is going to be broken. We got to get over ourselves so that we can celebrate the greatness of God. He's who we're following. We're not following man. And when we come to a place like this, we admit it. We say, I'm broken. I am messed up, but I need Jesus. I need to follow him and I'm going to worship him. And, and when we gather together in an environment like this, thanks for getting out of bed and putting the glory of God over your sleep today. To worship him because it grows us in thankfulness to who God is and what he's done in our lives. Psalm 57 verse nine says this. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great to the heavens. And your faithfulness to the clouds. See him naming that the steadfast. The Hebrew word for that was chesed. It was this uh, steadfast, unfailing love and, un, and, and faithfulness throughout generations that was raised in worship. Giving God glory for who he is and what he's done. There's a song by Matt Redmond called 10,000 Reasons. We sing it here quite a bit. And what I want to do during this song is, uh, after I explain it, I'd love for you to stand and worship with us. And as we're singing this song, I want you to just thank the Lord for who he is, what he's done in your life. If he calls, calls to your attention as you're led by him in worship to a name, to a person here, name them specifically. God, thank you for, thank you for Nathan as I, one of my sons. If God brings that, and I'll praise him. But, but specifically count out, specifically call out the things you're thankful for as we sing this song together. Would you stand with me and sing together, naming the blessings of God in your lives? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. So bless the Lord, oh my soul.
kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find so bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his soul blessings together. Isn't it better to worship rather than worry? Isn't it better to give God glory than to be worried about your own glory and whether or not you're being taken care of in this world or or, or people are concerned or sensitive towards you? It, it is. And God builds us in our depth of gratitude the more we worship. I just think about, you're now the fourth service that, it's, that has sung that. You've lifted up specific areas of thankfulness. You literally, our church this weekend, declared 10,000 reasons of thankfulness to the Lord. Thanks for worshiping. I think another thing that we can do to grow in our gratitude is that practice of giving. Generosity changes us on, on how we're thankful You know, Paul was taking up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. They were going through a severe famine. And uh, he wrote to the church in Corinth, which was a pretty wealthy church. And he said, look, we'd like to take and meet their needs. And they said, of course, we'll take care of it. We'll help. But they never showed up to give. 
They never let their, their actions, their physical actions reflect their verbal commitment. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he tries to convince him why it's better to give than to always be receiving. Why it's better to give than to spend it all. What does God do when you're generous? And he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So you could just kind of build, God builds that, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Isn't that how it works? It's kind of just like prayer. The more you pray, the more you're thankful to God. The more you pray for others, the more they're thankful for you and God. The more you give, the same thing happens. The more you realize how much God has given you. Because you don't expend it on yourself. Do you know how many choices with finances we don't have a choice with? You gotta pay the mortgage. You gotta pay the bills. If you don't, you're shut down. All this kind of stuff. So all the have tos. Do you know you get worship through giving is a get to. And when you can liberate your life from the have tos and you get to give, wow, God builds gratitude. And that's why Paul even points out that the culmination of this is we ultimately just reflect the greatest gift with, uh, from the greatest giver. He says, thanks be to God in verse 15 for his indescribable gift. When we give, we reflect the generosity of God. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. You understand the riches you have when you give. It says, and then the other side of it is, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Boy, that's true. I lived that one out. I lived it out when I, I didn't give because I wanted to spend it all on me or when I didn't make a, a salary enough that I thought I could give and I thought I can't afford to give. And you know what God has taught me over the course of my life? You can't afford not to give. When it's all about me spending every penny that I make or me even living beyond my needs and going in debt to to supply a lifestyle I want to have, look out. My thankfulness erodes. And I'm always looking for more. I'm never content with what God has given me. In a book called The Paradox of Generosity, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, both of Notre Dame, uh, did an in-depth study, a scientific study on two types of people in, in America, the generous and the, what he calls, ungenerous. And here's what they found. In these areas, those who were generous far, far outdistanced themselves from those who were ungenerous. They were out, so much better with happiness, with health, with a sense of purpose, with an avoidance of depression, with even personal growth and their openness to developing and learning and being teachable in life. And here's what they studied. Those who gave on a regular basis over 10% of their income had unparalleled amounts of joy and happiness. They found that those who were volunteered, who gave their time and energy for others, uh, at least five hours a week were far distanced from those who just used it up on their own personal pleasures. Those who were relational in their giving and they were the neighbors to live next to. You know, like if you got into a bind, your neighbor would take care of your kids or or they were always having people over. These are the people who are relationally generous. They're always open for people far outdistance themselves. And here's the startling thing about this. This was unrelated to income. It didn't matter how much they made. It was an attitude. That was a practice of giving. It had nothing to do with whether or not even this, folks, married or single, no difference, no difference. If they spent it all, they were, uh, they were, they were, um, uh, ungrateful. If they gave, 
they were thankful. It's even unrelated to having children. So here it is. All of us, all of us, this goes to everyone. We, are, we cannot afford not to give. God wants to grow our gratitude when we do this. Finally, serve. Serve. Get engaged in what God is doing. Now, I know I mentioned that it's part of generosity to serve with your time and energy, but God has also given you gifts. He's given you spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul said, just through generosity, that the ministry of this service is not only supporting the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When you serve someone, you, you, you basically, it, what do they do? Thank you. They appreciate that, don't they? So it kind of starts that pattern of thankfulness when you serve. Paul identified himself as a servant of God, someone who served God. Look in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. He said, I thank my God whom I serve as did my, my uh, ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Last week, I think it was really awesome to see how we responded in not only giving generously, but showing up and serving. And we we provided hundreds of places for you to show up or give up. And you did. You did. And and this week we had to had to think of some more. And we literally purchased a herd of goats in Haiti that we're going to be giving to families. And those of you who are traveling for two weeks over the Christmas break, they told us they're actually going to have you give the goats away. So we're going to have pictures of our church family giving the goats away in, um, you know, something can get your goat. Well, this is something you can give a goat for. Here's what we hear with people who are serving, though. Here's what we hear. We hear, I cannot wait for this to happen. We hear, it's such a joy to be involved in this. We hear, we're honored to be a part of people's lives. There are no regrets. There are no regrets because God wells up and he grows us in thankfulness. Can I tell you what robs thankfulness? When you show up to be served. When you show up to a church environment, some of you have left churches because you weren't served the way you wanted to be served in that church. And I'm just going to say here, just can we be honest? There's going to come a point where you're going to not feel served here because we're going to be sick and tired of you just watching and sick and tired of you just being served. We're going to call you into what God has changed and transformed each of our lives in, in being a servant to the Lord. And you'll probably leave here if you don't serve. I'm just being open here because I see the pattern over and over. And you can treat church like it's a cruise ship and you're on a buffet. And if this church has this buffet and I like that buffet over there. But the reality is, is folks, we're here to serve. Paul was a servant, a doulos in the Greek. Because he was modeling the heart of Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we do that when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We serve. We don't show up. So if you show up to be served, it's going to be disappointing. It's too cold in here. I I don't like that worship song. I can't sing it. It's just too high for me. I can't do it. And then, and then we're going to go around and, oh, my kid's not happy. They, They were, they were kind of, I don't know. I didn't like how that person talked to my child. And we can just find it. You can find it. The more you live with people, the more you endure with people, the more things you can be unthankful for. And, and God forbid that we should run out of cookies. <laughs> That's where we get our complaints. You didn't have cookies. 
eat. Eat elsewhere then. Come, but come here prepared to serve. Prepared to serve. See, it's not about us. And when your life is not about us, guess what you're liberated to do? To be thankful. God wants to grow us in that. You know, Paul, I want to read this passage to you. I read it in our journal several weeks back, and it has stuck with me ever since I read it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Paul said, look, God has you in a place with people doing things that the that the creator of the universe has purpose in every one of our lives. And I keep telling you every week, in just a few minutes after we worship here, you're going to be scattered. And God says, learn to lead that life. You know that one that you could easily be discontent, especially as you look around and there's always, there's always people who have more than you or have it better than you. And you can be so discontent if you just run into the cycle of this world. But God says, no, learn to lead a life in the place, in the position with the people God has for you. This is my rule in all the church. The church is the church when it's thankful and where it understand God has them right now for a purpose. So if for the most part, your words to your spouse are discontent, be content. Do you know it's a game changer in a marriage? When one spouse shows up and is thankful, think, can everyone say this? Thank you. Can you say it? Good. Say that to your spouse. Say that to people in your lives. It's a game changer. You're going, Joe, it's just some words. Yes, it's words that express gratitude. You're not above the rules that apply to every relationship in this world. And this is a pattern God has given us. He's hardwired us to be thankful. You will be thankful in heaven. Trust me, you will. Why not celebrate the richness of Christ in your life today? I read a book two, two years ago called Today We Are Rich. It was written by a guy named Tim Sanders. And Tim uh, learned this phrase, Today We Are Rich, by his grandmother. He used to spend some time with his grandmother. She was poor. She lived on a, out in the country. She had a two-bedroom home, one bath, little kitchen area, and a living room on a slab home, uh, on a slab uh, foundation. And he'd sit down at breakfast. It was always a meager breakfast because she barely had enough to provide for him. And she sat down. She said, Timmy, today we are rich. And she would talk about all the things that they're rich in. She's talked about a relationship with Jesus, that we have all these blessings due to our relationship with Christ. We have food. We have shelter. We have breath to, to breathe and, and live our lives. We have each other, Timmy. We have today to live fully in the life that Jesus has for us today. And it changed the way he saw things. It changed the way from grandma doesn't have much to holy smokes. Look at how grandma is blessed. Look at all the things money can't buy that grandma has. And he started living his life and it's affected him and has influenced him even to this day. To this day, he doesn't read the news in the morning. He reads it in the afternoon. Why? He wants to start out his day positive. He doesn't want to get into the swirl of negativity, the swirl of problems and world issues that none of us can control. And they're some of the first things we feed our minds in the morning. It's why he gets into the word. One of the first things he wants to build a foundation in his day to understand today I'm rich. Folks, today... We're rich with Christ. 
these priceless things that the world is ignorant to, that we'll never get apart from God and his word. But we have through Christ. Live in the richness. And when you understand the richness you have with Christ, be thankful and practice that through prayer, through worship, through giving, and through serving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that today, through Christ, we are rich. You have given us things money cannot buy. And Lord, move us away from, to, from being wrapped in the swirl of events that we can't control into an intentional relationship with, with you and with others where we're expressing thankfulness. And grow us, Lord Jesus. May the influence that you have given us be used for thankfulness and may it affect our every relationship, our spouses, our friends, our children, our grandchildren. May you use us to leave a legacy of thankfulness in this world. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.